fellow lucky Martians. Welcome to episode number 13 of the Deep Dive Autobiography, I'm a Particularly Lucky Martian by Jay Crandall. If you're like me and you love word games, you'll love Don't End a Word. Based on a deceptively simple two-player word game I played in the car with my parents growing up, it is now available. My mother's stylistic sensibilities were a concoction blended together from her time in India, her time staying with her Aunt Isabel in New Jersey, and a reaction against the disorder and dysfunction she unfortunately experienced at home. She was very close with her aunt, who was kind but didn't take any nonsense from anyone and was intellectually way ahead of her time. She got a doctorate in microbiology when it was almost unheard of for women to get a master's degree or even a bachelor's. She married an Episcopal priest and my mother's central strong and stable parental figure growing up. My mother would spend many summers with her aunt and would strive to recreate her time there. Isabel kept a neat and tidy house, much in contrast to the chaos at home which instilled in my mother a strong desire for cleanliness and order. Unfortunately, it has been difficult for her to install this ethic in me. I'm doing far better than in my childhood, at least. These visits greatly impacted my mother, who would later seek to recreate the environment that surrounded her. Her clean and tidy house was filled with tasteful, old, nice things that my mother has sought to replicate, like oriental rugs on oak flooring, blue and white decorative china, an ancient grandfather clock, and a comfortable sofa and hand reupholstered chairs in deep blues, reds, and golds. They would play frequent games of Scrabble, and my mother would get to enjoy Isabel's dark chocolate sauce with vanilla ice cream. And my mother was highly influenced by her time in high school in India, from her keen empathy to her design aesthetic to her taste in foods. My mother and father grew up poor during the recession, waiting tables and selling vacuums. So they built much of their furniture, like our dinner table, which they assembled from walnut planks and built a mahogany person's table as well. They scrimped and saved for a bakara, as well as a really cool Tibetan tonka. My father was able to help furnish their living quarters, building a side table and a central table in our eat-in kitchen, and recently constructed the Lazy Susan in the center from unused table extension wings. My mother has a classic interior design philosophy that was deeply influenced by the time she spent with her Aunt Isabel and Brother Larry in New Jersey. In addition to constructing our dinner table, she gained a fondness for tasteful, old, nice things. Alarmed by my grandfather's recent hospitalizations, Martha drove down to Florida and picked up my grandmother. She was now living with Martha in Maryland, was her primary caretaker, and my dad and I were recruited to pack up my grandmother's house in Florida and put it on the market. It was a very strange feeling to throw away and pack up all the things that made up that house, which my grandfather designed himself, theirs. My grandparents took lots of cruises in their retirement, and my grandmother collected a pebble from each country she visited, and they also collected Buddha statues. In an old photo album, I discovered that my father at Christmas looked just like me. We ate the breakfast of champions. I came across a journal that my grandfather made that mentioned robot wars and learned the proper way to set up my next formal dinner. I found what their 40s-era almanac defined a computer as. She would then move to an assisted living facility, one that was unfortunately a confusingly large hive of a facility. It was so large that, to this day, I cannot remember the confusing path to and from her room to the meal hall, and unfortunately, neither could my grandmother, as she became a reclusive shut-in, not even venturing out to get meals, instead relying on bulk meal deliveries. When we visited, I struggled to learn the route outside and to the meal hall with her, and after many trips outside, she was finally able to remember the route and was able to find her way to the meal hall, cutting corners along the route there. She was still doing better than me, 
as I was still finding myself getting lost in the facility. This was in stark contrast to the living situation of her sister, my Aunt Frances, who was living in a cozy retirement community in Norfolk. She was close enough to allow us to visit her often, and she was literally feet from the common area where she ate and socialized. While visiting her, we were chatting with her in the easily accessible outdoor garden when an attendant came by and offered us a package. Inside the package was a groggy but still living butterfly, who soon fluttered away after he opened up the package. My great aunt Isabel moved to the assisted living as well, and soon thereafter invited all of her relatives over to celebrate her 90th birthday. I hope I inherit some of their genes, as I would later celebrate my Aunt Frances's 100th, and both were still as sharp as ever. You've been listening to episode 13 of Jay Crandall's Deep Dive Autobiography, I Am a Particularly Lucky Martian. A while ago, I decided to turn a collection of t-shirt design ideas, which innocently and covertly depict vulgar phrases, into t-shirts. Things like a man with a giant wooden golf club, a deer with a massive rack of horns, etc., to get one and snicker about it in the lunchroom, visit tinyurl.com slash secretly vulgar. And check out tinyurl.com slash hidden animal sentences. To see a list of hidden animal sentences I made with my mom in elementary school illustrated, with the animal from that sentence hidden in the picture. My Uncle Larry took an interest in working with me on potential vocational activities like SolidWorks and directed me to a snazzy new computer. My Aunt Isabel was incredibly kind and generous, and left me a special needs trust, which she manages. She then moved to an assisted care facility, and let my cousins, my Uncle Larry, my mother, and me go through her house to see if there were any items we wanted. My mother wanted the rugs, the antique grandfather clock, an intricate needlepoint of Albert Thorvaldson's knight, with some interesting history, and a Dresden china statue of two bears playing. I wanted some of the objects that carried the strongest association and memory of my time at her house, and the pieces I chose were a little strange. One was a book that I remember staring back at me from on her bookshelf, and the other was a latch that she had installed in the bathroom door to allow it to be secured shut because the standard latch was not functional. I also grabbed her a pair of garden shears. I think of her whenever I have a garden pruning task to accomplish, which is often. I had incorrectly assumed my friend Fernando was a liberal, and although he did volunteer for Obama's 2008 campaign, he shifted to libertarianism, and I thought that Veronica, an acerbic and smart but humane and well-meaning friend, who used to go out with Fernando, was almost certainly Republican. I was surprised to discover that she was actually a strong and active progressive. We went with her to the March Against Gun Violence, where she, my family, and I went to talk with our representatives. We went down to our Capitol building in Richmond and had brought little American flags with us to show our patriotism, but had to check them at the door, as the tiny sticks to which they were attached were considered weapons. Meanwhile, in some sort of sick counter-protest, a large contingent of automatic weapon-strapped folks who were here to make sure our God-given rights didn't get trampled got to sidestep the full body scanners and walk right into the Capitol. America. My mother wrote a letter and I wore a big card with a picture of the x-ray from when I was admitted to the hospital. My mother bought me a book on poetry and was inspired to update a poem I had written in high school, The Axis Tilts, which I then updated. The poem's title is a reference to the seasonality on our planet being a result of our off-kilter rotation. My mother saw my interest in poetry composition and purchased a book about poetry composition at a teacher's supply store. I composed numerous haikus, 
I get a kick out of the fact that I can accurately claim to be a published poet. Veronica was on the path to becoming a doctor. She was working at the MCV TBI model system in Richmond, saw a prior version of the poem The Axis Tilts, and asked me if she could hand it over to her monthly brain injury publication, TBI Today. I said that would be great, and a couple weeks later, a copy showed up in the mail, with my poem in it. She then asked if they would be interested in doing a survivor's story at their monthly brown bag lunch lecture series, and I got my first hint that perhaps what I had been through might be interesting. It was actually kind of fun creating the PowerPoint presentation on my injury slash recovery, and was great talking to and getting questions from a medically knowledgeable population. We all agreed that the luncheon went pretty well. So when I was presented with the opportunity to speak at a regional brain injury support meeting, I jumped on it. Unfortunately, I did not rehearse my speech and accidentally looped back and began reading a portion I had already used. Luckily, this happened to be the segment on my terrible memory and the audience just assumed I was intentional. My family, Veronica, and I took part in a demonstration and a call to our local state representatives about gun violence. We crammed into a crowded elevator. The doors beeped shut and we began our ascent to where we hoped to talk with our representative, Keith Hodges. I proceeded to let rip with one of the foulest, raunchiest farts I'd had in a while. Of course, I wasn't expecting such a loud and smelly fart, and should have just waited, but I wasn't used to having to deal with elevators. The floors ticked by with glacial speed as the putrid stench enveloped the tiny, crowded cabin. No one said anything, but if they had... I would have certainly owned up. Finally, the doors clicked open on our floor, and we hurried out. I confessed to my parents, telling them that, God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm just not used to city living. And I said this with all earnestness. I am an infrequent user of elevators and really was not considering the added variable of prolonged close quarters. We were members of a brain injury support group and enjoyed the fellowship. They provided information and support in the early days of my recovery. When we first joined, we had a pretty large group, with trips to the zoo and dinner theater, among other activities, all coordinated by a paid group leader. And I can say with all honesty that I have been a runway model. There was a brain injury-themed fashion show, with all the models being people who had suffered a traumatic brain injury. I can't remember all of what I wore, but I do remember that I scored a I sported a grayish argyle cashmere sweater. My dad volunteered to be the photographer for the event, but after we had left, he realized he had forgotten his camera. Luckily, we were able to stop by a drugstore en route for a disposable camera, and my dad was quite surprised to find himself, or at least a fellow by the name of Joe Crandall, credited as the photographer in the event's press release. Our support group received some grant money one year for the members to take part in a horseback therapy course at Dreamcatchers. I've never been a big horse person, had never ridden a horse, but thought it would be worth giving it a shot. It was an impressive setup they had there, with a giant lift to place people who were paralyzed on their horse. I was thankfully able to get on mine, with the help of a big block on the ground, and each participant was accompanied by three minders on our first trip out on a horse, one to our left, one to our right. We eventually were handed the reins, and after learning the vocabulary of horse guidance, like whoa, and pull the reins to stop, squeeze the legs, and walk on to start moving, and tugging the reins in the direction you want to go. We worked our way to having completely independent control of our horses. I still remember my horse's name, Macy. 
You've been listening to episode number 13 of Jay Crandall's Deep Dive Autobiography. I am a particularly lucky Martian. To see the Google Docs version of this with extra bits that didn't quite work in the podcast form, visit bit.ly.com slash luckymartian13. And check out Don't End a Word in the App Store if you're like me and love word games. Thanks to Shiny Seconds for composing the theme music. You can access their webpage at shinyseconds.bandcamp.com. See you next episode, and stay lucky.